Hey, it's Chris. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about all kinds of things. WWDC, what to expect, why the iPad should be landscape first, ought to be interesting, which Mac should you buy right now and why. We're going to talk about Apple going on a shopping spree to make Siri smarter. We're going to talk about Apple's fumble ad. I don't know if you guys saw this, had to do with the ceramic coating on the iPhone. Where the iPhone lands when the person fumbles is what's funny. We're also gonna talk about what the difference is between your move and exercise rings and who knows what else on this edition of the podcast. Couple things, you guys can watch the clips of this podcast if you're more of a visual person on YouTube. I'll leave you the link for the clips. If you enjoy this podcast, you might enjoy my daily podcast, which is the Apple Hype Podcast. Just a quick hit with one app, one accessory, one interesting news story to share with you guys in just a couple of minutes, right in time for lunch, every Monday through Friday. So I'll link that up down below too. But let me spend a little bit of time just kind of talking uh, about me and the channel before we get into all the Apple stuff, because this is one thing that's nice about the podcast here. There's this exclusive time that doesn't get clipped up, doesn't get shared anywhere else. It's just you guys and me hanging out uh, just, you know, shooting the breeze, talking about things like friends, a great reason to listen to this podcast. So what's new? Well, I'm sitting down here in the studio and things continue to change around the office in the studio. I hauled an extra desk in here. So if you watch the channel, you might notice there's that multicolored desk that I stuck the skin on. That's sort of like the main channel go-to setup. And I got another desk in here, a standing desk, it's an older desk, I've had it around, but I'm repurposing it. It's in the corner in the same room and that's what I'm actually set up at right now filming this podcast. Um, it's just gonna be the podcast corner, I think. And maybe I'll use it for some top-down stuff too. Needless to say, it's getting a little crowded in here, but that's not it. I got another desk that's hanging out in here. It's a mini desk, it's a standing desk, although you can reconfigure it to be a sitting or a standing desk. It's from a company called Ecotribe. And I plan on making a video about this cool little desk. I mean, it's I've got a full desk setup going right in front of the window down here, and it takes up no space at all. It's got tiers on it, and so there's like a main little desk area where you can put your laptop, or in this case, I've got a keyboard there and the Magic Trackpad, and it's got an extra level, and you can place these levels wherever you want. It's super adaptable and flexible. This extra level I've placed higher, and on there I've got the uh, Kensington Studio Dock with the iPad Pro on there that I reviewed on the channel. Well, actually I did the unboxing, review still to come. That's hanging out on top. Whoa, I've been doing some work on there. It's such a nice setup. Honestly, desk setups, they've kind of like become uh, standardized over the years, right? Where people have the, like the big desk, you know, that's just what everyone defaults to. And I did too, when I was setting up my office upstairs and you know, your monitor and whatever. This thing with an iPad, this could revolutionize the way people do their desk setups. I can't wait to film. I'm not sure what I'm going to call it. Something like, you know, a great iPad mini desk setup or something, something along those lines. So keep your eyes peeled. But man, I'm just loving it because what it does is it sticks the iPad like eye level, right? But the keyboard's like down lower and I'm standing there. It's just, it's so ergonomic. It's comfortable. I can charge my devices on the studio. I got all the ports I would ever want as an iPad user. I even stuck some Hue lights around 
to light that thing up and ooh, it's just nice. And literally, if it was any bigger, it wouldn't fit in here, but I have some dedicated workspaces. I got the daily task filming area with all the different camera angles and all the C stands and cameras angled at it. And then I got this other corner over here with the podcast stuff. And then I got that and that's where I get some work done. If I need to do some script writing or something or, or do some tweaking or some research or respond to some emails or something while I'm in the studio, that's gonna be my go-to spot. And I'm just really, really excited about it. So, if you can't wait for the video, you can go to ecotribe.com and check out what they've got. I think it's .com, I'm just assuming, but search for Ecotribe. And part of the whole thing is that you don't need any tools to put it together, although I did end up using a rubber mallet because I just did, but some pretty ingenious stuff. You know, here in the studio, if you've been watching any of the content lately, you know, I've been messing around with some different looks. I got these um, Aperture miniature lights. Aperture makes some really great lights that a lot of YouTubers love. But these, I think they're the Aperture MCs, if I'm not mistaken. They come in a four pack, they're wireless, they're magnetic. And if you watch any of the podcast clips here, you'll see I've got this place lit up and I'm using those. So like I stuck one in the closet, turned mostly all the lights off. I got one Elgato key light going on this setup, which I'm reflecting off of the wall, by the way. I posted on Instagram about that. So by the time this gets up, that Instagram story will probably be toast, but that Elgato key light is not aimed at my face. It's bouncing off the wall and then bouncing off the ceiling a little bit, creating some just super soft light on my face. It's so good. And I love this A7S III lets in so much light. I can basically shoot almost in the dark, but I got these Aperture MCs lighting up the scene behind me and you know, it really transforms the space, gives it a whole different look which is nice. It's nice to have a different look for different channels and types of content, you know, help people tell stuff apart. So I am in other news, finally getting really serious about getting a new car, probably something electric, maybe not a car, maybe an SUV. I don't think I'm going to end up sharing what it is here. I never know how much to share. Some stuff is just Chris stuff. It's not really related to the channel, but at the same time, it's something that I really am interested in and doing and but it kind of gets old, I know, on social media when somebody's like, look at this cool new thing I got or something, you know? But I am looking at an electric car, I'll just say, uh, or vehicle, uh, and it's not gonna be what everyone else is getting. I'll tell you that right now. I've talked about this a lot over the last year, year and a half or so. Finally, you know, coming down to deciding uh, what we want. Anything else new? I don't know. You know, I've been putting in a lot of work on Apple Hype and on this podcast. I'm gonna be pouring a lot more time and attention into this podcast too, just so you guys know. Getting very serious about it now that I feel like I'm getting my ducks in a row in other places. But usually this is how the day goes to create all this content. Someone was asking about it. Depending on the content that I have going on, I'll wake up as early as 4 a.m. and either do some research or some editing from the day before or just to get a jump on the day. Then I'll have my breakfast, do some exercise, kind of get ready. And then usually around mm, like 9 a.m., I'm at my desk and I'm doing my research. And the research is just cumulative, honestly, for Apple Hype for all the stuff that I do. Whenever I see some, I tag it, I save it. And so then I sift through it, I guess we'll say around nine-ish in the morning. And between nine and 11, that's when I work on and, you know, from from the coming up with what I'm gonna do, the actual curation to, uh, you know, putting up whatever the content is on the website for Apple Hype to shooting it, editing it, color correcting it, you know, dropping in the B-roll and the footage. All that stuff happens between nine and 11. Then I try to publish at 11. Some days I'm a little early and some days I'm like a few minutes late. I try to schedule that so that it hits at 12 Eastern 
And so, you know, there's, there's that. And then I have like an extra hour where I can kind of get a jump on what I'm going to do in the afternoon, which is usually going to be like a daily tech main channel video. And that just totally depends on the type of video. If it's an unboxing, like I just did with that iPad stand, the hover bar duo, which was something I was super excited about, could not wait to get that done. Then, you know, I just set up the cameras and that actually takes a long time. I can take like 45 minutes to get all the angles, all the batteries, you know, SD cards formatted, get it all set up, lighting, uh, that takes a while to set up, but then you just run through it. And oftentimes I don't have a script. Sometimes I have like some bullet points, sometimes not. And that can just take the rest of the afternoon. And then I, if I need to, I'll wake up at like four or five in the morning and finish up the edit. And honestly, something people probably don't realize is, you know, if you shoot like five cameras worth of stuff, and sometimes I throw in an iPhone or, or an extra camera on top of the, the regular setup too, if you're importing all the footage, it takes a long time for the import. It's not like you just get right to the edit when you're done. Sometimes I'm spending like an hour just importing stuff. And so that can be sort of a little bottleneck, but that's kind of the daily schedule right now. So I don't know, maybe you found that interesting. I don't know what you guys find interesting or not. So I just kind of talk about whatever on here. Oh, you know, I will say this. I got a Starbucks Nitro for the first time today and somebody commented on Apple Hype, quit talking about Nitro. We're sick of it. Uh, but it was just one comment. I never get that comment. I can't not be myself. I enjoy Nitro, so I will continue to talk about it. But I hadn't had a Starbucks Nitro in a very long time because my wife got me going on this Verve Nitro, which I think I mentioned. It, it's like the shipping costs more than the Nitro. It comes from California. They got to keep it cold because it's flash brewed. So it's not just cold brew. It's not just Nitro. It's flash brewed Nitro. But it comes in a can. Keep the little uh, mini fridge stocked with you know, my kins and my, my nitros. So it had been, I don't know, a long time, months at least since I'd had an, a Starbucks nitro. And you know, when nitro was new, like that was the first nitro that introduced me to nitro was a Starbucks nitro. And it kind of set the bar and there's something about it. It's, it's creamier, foamier. The texture is different than any other nitro anywhere. I will give Starbucks that, but it just, after the Verve nitro, it wasn't as good anymore. And maybe it's because I just want to have a nitro every single day now. But that was kind of a revelation because sometimes the first thing that introduces you to something, you think of it as the best in your head, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it is. It's just the first thing that you had. <laughs> Let me go back real quick before we get into all the Apple news and just say, I feel like in a lot of ways, the channel has become kind of iPad focused in, in recent months, but not on purpose. It's just the algorithm is pushing my iPad content more than anything else. Maybe I've talked about this before on here. But it's actually a little bit frustrating. I was looking at the last 10 videos that I published and one, two, three, four, five of the top videos, the top five videos, they were all iPad related. And then, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 of the last videos, the, the bottom half of the last 10 videos, they were all non iPad related. I'm talking about the Apple watch video I put out recently, Mac related stuff iPhone stuff. So yeah, the, the algorithms have really pegged me as an iPad person. You know, a lot of the audience as iPad people. And looking back, I know that makes sense. Some of the two of the most popular videos that have ever been on the channel were the ones that I made about iPad apps, the apps that make the iPad pro worth owning, using, having, and those blew up with like over a million views each, I think. I'm, by the way, getting ready to do another one, probably next week for this year. It's kind of my yearly thing. 
And as a side side note, I don't know how long you guys have been rolling with Daily Tech. When it was a blog, we had a top 100 list of the top 100 best websites every year since 2012 on, I don't know, for several years, five or six years. And everyone looked forward to it. It was the big thing. It was like a huge event. It took me all year to put this list together. I've been curating stuff forever. Um, and even today, you know, like in the recent weeks, I've had somebody ask about that list. And when's your next top 100 websites list coming out? But anyways, I feel like the uh, the apps to make the iPad Pro worth owning, that series, which this will be the third one if I put it out here this year, that's kind of like the new yearly list. It's the spirit of the blog lives on sort of through that series. So anyways, I, it's just, you know, I, I don't want to be pegged by YouTube or by anybody, by myself. I don't wanna get into a rhythm where it's just iPad stuff is what brings in the views and brings in the money and, and that's what the channel becomes. And I try to diversify and publish other stuff. It's just, that's not what gets picked up. But that I think is somewhat just temporary. You know, when new iPhones drop, I'll be covering it and just, you know, everyone's attention will be on it and it will do well. When WWDC hits here shortly and everyone's just all about all the new OS changes, you know, that'll do its thing too. And I'll be there for that. But it's hard not to just get like cornered and boxed in sometimes as a creator. You want to create a diversity of things, but people kind of get to know you for just that one thing that you do or did. And I was really, I was listening to uh, the Maddie and Pete show, their, their podcast, uh, Maddie Hapoya, Peter McKinnon. They only have like 13 episodes. I wish they would do more, but that's a good one to hang out with if you're a creator. And even if you're not, just they were talking about the same thing, you know, feeling a little boxed in, needing to change, doing different things, how the algorithm responds, how people peg you. And there's a lot that people don't realize that you have to think about and, and do to survive as a content creator. And as a consequence, I do think you go through waves of fans. People, you know, like like the Nitro Coffee, some people come to you and, you know, your iPad content is like the first Nitro they've ever tried or something. And then they end up tasting other things later and then they come back and you're not serving up the same drink. I don't know, this metaphor is getting away from me, but you guys know what I mean. You gotta adapt and, and I think your audience changes and adapts over time too. I bet a lot of the people that are listening to this, uh, you know, you're not the same people that started rolling with us in 2015 when we got the channel going, you know? All right, WWDC, it's coming up and we gotta talk about what to expect. Of course, WWDC is gonna be virtual this year. Nothing wrong with that. I, I do like it when it's in person because it's one of the few events I've been invited to in the past where I get to hang out with other people who do this for a living. But, you know, the virtual shows, they're really good. There's nothing to complain about. Of course, this year's WWDC has the tagline glow and behold. Not really sure what that means. Everyone's kind of obsessing over the invites, the header images on Apple's site that have everybody in the Im images, the memojis, wearing glasses. And this is obviously the Craig Federighi meme, right? When he's opening up the laptop and checking it out. But they're all wearing glasses, all these memojis, and they're reflecting either the screen or they're hinting at some sort of mixed reality AR glasses, which has been the rumor forever. Apple is gonna do something in this space at some point, mixed reality or AR glasses, but they could just be trolling people and they know how to garner attention. So honestly, I don't know. I don't really have an inkling. I kind of doubt that it's the glasses for WWDC, but you never know. Oftentimes what comes to WWDC is like a precursor 
to a new product launch. Sometimes Apple has to get stuff in the hands of developers a little ahead of time before the consumer product can launch so that it actually has apps and things that you would wanna use. So it could be that case here. So the conference is gonna be June 7 through 11, so keynote probably on the 7th. What we do know is that WWDC is all about software. So we're gonna expect iOS 15, we're gonna expect Mac OS 12, Watch OS 8, tvOS, CarPlay, all the software platforms. This is where they get updated. Oh, one thing that's cool is that this is gonna be free for developers. That's not always the case. When it's in person, you know, it costs a lot to go if you're a developer and there's like a lottery system. You can't just go even if you want to and if you have the money, you know, if you've got a thousand bucks to burn to get a ticket or something, you know, you have to be lucky enough to be able to pay when this is in person. So it's cool that it's just gonna be free for everybody. That's one of the benefits of being online. Wow, it says last year, WWDC drew 22 million viewers across all of Apple's live streams. That's crazy. It's not even the iPhone launch. That is a lot of people who tune in for this event. What does the Super Bowl bring in? Wow, the Super Bowl's at a 15-year low, only 5.7 million viewers. That's four times Super Bowl viewership for WWDC last year. All right, here's officially what Apple has to say about it. The Apple Worldwide Developers Conference is coming to a screen near you, June 7 to 11. Join the worldwide developer community for an all online program with exciting announcements, sessions, and labs at no cost. You get a first look at the latest Apple platforms, tools, and technologies so you can create your most innovative apps and games yet. That's just a note to the developers. You know, without the developers, us regular people wouldn't have nearly as much fun on our devices. We'd have no fun because there'd just be Apple's software. We'd have iWork and Safari and what else? Apple Notes. You know, all the great apps that you love, those are from third-party developers. Not that you don't love the Apple stuff, but you know what I mean. So this is a big deal for the developers to attend this, to get better at what they do, to learn about new technologies that they can harness, to bring us the goods. All right, but let's get to the good stuff. What to expect. That's probably why you clicked on this clip or why you're listening to the full podcast in the first place. First things first, we can expect some developer betas of all the new OSs. And probably I'll sign up for that and bring some content to the Daily Tech main channel for you guys. I don't know, it's taking the life of my devices in their own hands, right? Because these are not ready for prime time. And there's always some glitches. Sometimes they're bad, sometimes they're not too bad. I always make the mistake of upgrading my Mac to the beta to bring you guys some content and then something doesn't work right and it's a big pain and I gotta use the backup Mac, which is years old now and doesn't nearly crunch through video editing like it used to, like the new one does. Now, the article points out, and this is very true, traditionally Apple likes to reserve WWDC for software only things, announcements at the keynote, at the State of the Union. But this year could be different. We don't know if we're getting an April event this year or not at this point. And it could be that Apple's just gonna lump things together. Every now and then, they do talk about hardware at WWDC, and if they do, then this year it could be about the Mac. They're in the process of transitioning the whole Mac lineup to their own Apple Silicon processors, and you know what could be coming? New iMacs, new MacBook Pros. Those are two things I really wanna see. The new iMacs, if you hear the rumors, if you look at some of the concepts, those are gonna be awesome. Will they come out with the widescreen version? I don't know, I would love that. I would love just a widescreen Apple monitor anyways. You guys have heard me talk about that, but it may be possible. 
I'd take a widescreen iMac for sure, especially with the Apple Silicon. And then MacBook Pros, yes, please. That is what I desperately want. You know, the MacBook Air is great. The 13-inch MacBook Pro with Apple's chip inside, that's nice, but I want a 16-inch version. Even a 14-inch, 14, 15, 16, sign me up. I want any of those. So if that comes, if that's announced at WWDC, I'll be so happy. But that's pretty much, in a nutshell, what I think you could likely expect from WWDC. Definitely software-related things. You know, we're gonna know all the new features for Mac OS, for our iOS, iPad OS. Really excited to see what comes for iPad OS. Hopefully better multitasking support. I think we'd all appreciate that. You know, the Mac and the iPad are gonna continue kind of getting closer and closer to being the same thing, but this year, you know, they'll still stay a little bit apart, keep their distance. We're gonna get the beta software for sure, and maybe we'll see something about a mixed reality headset. Ed Hardy from Cult of Mac put out an interesting article. I wanted to discuss it because it's all about Apple needing to change the default orientation of an iPad from vertical to landscape. Make it horizontal first. As soon as I saw this headline, I was like, yes, that makes a million percent sense. I've, nobody's really talked about this. I've talked about moving the camera from what for me tends to be the side, even though it's the top, depending on how you hold it, from the side to the top, which for me is the horizontal top. So Ed did kind of an impromptu poll of his family and coworkers, and he asked everybody, how do you hold the iPad? What's the default way? And he said it was landscape by a landslide, which great alliteration, but also, yeah, that's my default way of interacting with an iPad. The one difference, and I talked about this in my Hoverbar Duo review or unboxing on the main channel, was when I'm writing. When I'm writing, I do like to use the iPad in its vertical orientation because it feels more like a piece of paper. You get to see more of what you've written. I guess reading would be you know, the other time when I do that, but for everything else, you know, most of the time, if I'm updating my Squarespace website for Apple hype, I like to do that obviously in horizontal orientation. When I'm watching content, YouTube, Netflix, what have you, horizontal, obviously. Absolutely, when I'm designing something, when I'm using Vectornator or Apple Notes even, just, just handwriting. Definitely that happens in, in horizontal mode. It's very rare when I use an iPad in vertical mode. You think about the Magic Keyboard for the iPad Pro, now the iPad Air, what way is it oriented? It's oriented in horizontal mode. So in some ways, Apple is already there. <laughs> they know that this is how most people are gonna do their work 99% of the time. But if you're like, Chris, I didn't even think that Apple thought about whether the iPad was had a right side up, let's say. Well, think about it. Where does the logo appear and how does it appear when you boot the thing up? Vertical orientation, right? So that's something that's gonna change in iPadOS 14 and a half. The Apple logo is gonna display right side up when you boot up in landscape orientation. But of course, that leaves the logo on the back stuck in the wrong position. That front facing camera though has got to move from the side up to the top, what I would call the top. Because Face ID with the Magic Keyboard is doable, it's not that bad, but but it can be a pain sometimes because sometimes your thumb covers it. Your thumb would never cover it with the Magic Keyboard on if you just put it on the top, right above the clock there. One big issue though has to do with FaceTime. Like when you're doing Zoom or video conferencing of any kind, if you're looking at the left side of your screen, it doesn't feel like you're connecting with the people on the other side. 
that's always kind of weird. Something else that you could do is then switch the power and the volume buttons, where they go, where they are. Ed had an interesting point here though. He was like, you could actually make, require iPad developers to support landscape mode. So Instagram, for instance, TikTok, those are obviously apps that are made for your phone. They don't translate well. You know, that's one of the cool things about the iPad is that it doesn't have to be either or. You can rotate it, especially have the right kind of a stand that Kensington Studio Dock is a great example of a stand that rotates or that 12 South uh, Hover Bar Duo that I just talked about on the main channel. You know, both of those let you switch really easily between horizontal and landscape and it's just beautiful. Like the iPad is a thing of beauty, but you know, it really comes down to the buttons and the cameras. Let's get those moved. Who knows? Maybe this is the year. Well, this is a weird time to be buying a Mac, isn't it? Apple is transitioning from its Intel chips to its own silicon. And when it comes down to it, you get anything from a Mac mini to a laptop to an iMac, which is gonna get replaced really soon here, it looks like, to something like the Mac Pro, which needs to get replaced. Apple Silicon's so disruptive. Just where do you start? What do you do? Let's start with the MacBook Air. Who is it for? Well, this thing is affordable, comparatively, <laughs> when you're talking about Apple affordability. And that makes it ideal, not only for the budget conscious, but also for anyone who knows that they're gonna need to be on the go, mobile. So if you can live with a 13 inch screen and only two USB-C ports, then this could be the perfect laptop for you. Just because it's Apple's cheapest laptop though, it doesn't mean it's not gonna be able to take full advantage of macOS Big Sur with the M1 integration. The M1 obviously is Apple's new chip that is so insanely fast that a lot of people who do professional video editing like myself have been switching to M1 powered devices away from their you know 16 inch MacBook Pro to your Mac Minis and your MacBook Airs just because Wow, it's it's really insane what you can do with this processor. But because you only have those two ports, you're definitely gonna need a dongle of some sort. Absolutely, I would recommend getting one just right at the get. One thing that's cool is that it doesn't have a fan, so you're not gonna be hearing a lot of noise, nice and silent. You know, as somebody who has a 16-inch MacBook Pro right now still, that thing whirs up and it sounds like a locomotive. Nothing like a gaming laptop, so let's be realistic. It's nice and quiet compared to a, just a proper gaming laptop, but still, the fans can get loud. So having no fans on this new Apple Silicon powered MacBook Air, that's a luxury. So the keyword here is general purpose. If you're just doing emails, browsing the internet, maybe watching some YouTube, playing the occasional game in Apple Arcade, let's say, not a AAA title, obviously, then yeah, this is a great portable, pretty budget friendly, machine. It could be perfect for you. Okay, what about the MacBook Pro? This is Apple's high-performance laptop. There's two models out right now. You can get the 13-inch or you can get the 16-inch. The 13-inch is currently running on Apple's new M1 chip. The 16-inch is not yet. This 13-inch was released in November 2020, while the 16-inch was last updated in November 2019, and it's going to get replaced very soon here. We can count on it. So you should buy a MacBook Pro if you consider yourself a demanding user and you still need portability. You know, I'm fond of telling people, you know if you're a pro, if you have to ask, then you're not. If you're a pro, you know, whether it's photo, video, design, CAD stuff, then this is probably the kind of person that's looking at a MacBook Pro. The 13 inch models are eight core 
with 2560 by 1600 resolution, and they do start at 1299, while the 16 inch starts at 2399, boasts a beautiful, bigger display, and yes, still sports a touch bar, although for how much longer? We don't know. If you like the touch bar, this may be the time to get it because the rumors say it could be on the way out. When I was reviewing the 13 inch recently for the main channel, it really bothered me that there was only two USB ports. The dongle life was not fun as a creative person. On my 16 inch, I still have four ports and trust me, I need them and I use them. So something to consider. This is a weird time right now. The M1 chip is so good and the Intel based 16 inch MacBook Pro, it's loud and it's just not as efficient as you want it to be in 2021. If you can wait for a new 16 inch, you want a 16 inch and you can wait, then do because that's what I'm doing. I really want that bigger form factor with that little bit of extra power with the new platform of Apple Silicon. So I'm gonna wait. If you can, I would recommend it. If you can't, and if you're okay with the limitations of the 13 inch, you will be blown away by what the M1 chip can do and how it handles itself. And that brings us to the Mac Mini, which is Apple's smallest desktop based Mac, which is kind of like the MacBook Air in that it's more affordable. The Mac Mini has been updated with the M1, so yes, it's very capable. Again, a lot of professional level people have switched over to it temporarily until you know the Pro lineup gets the boost from the Apple Silicon. So if they're using it, yeah. If you're not a pro, and even if you are, it's really something to consider. One thing you gotta think about though is you're gonna need an external monitor, you're gonna need your external keyboard, your mouse, those are not built in obviously because it's not a laptop. So you gotta budget in as you're trying to save money if you're getting this uh, Mac mini, you gotta budget in some accessories. But still, if you're a professional and you wanna use this in your office or you know, and you don't need to be portable, you do most of your work just in the cubicle, <laughs> so to speak, or if your cubicle is your home office and again, you're just gonna have it there and you, you want the big screen experience, you want the ultra wide, for instance, don't really care about the portability, you're gonna use your iPad when it's time for portable work, then this is such a cool Mac. One of the best things about the Mini is its port situation. Unlike the Apple's laptops, whether it's the Air or the Pros, there's a lot of ports back here. You got your ethernet if you prefer to be hardwired. You got Thunderbolt, two of them. You got your HDMI 2.0 and a couple of USB-A's along with a headphone jack. Now, if you're worried about speed, this thing is as fast as the 13-inch MacBook Pro right now. So that's to say it's plenty powerful. It's gonna get a lot done for you. Can be a workhorse. It's just a great general computer. Almost anybody can really get a lot out of this. It's just not that portable unless you want to go to the trouble of toting around a portable monitor or something, that nah, wouldn't be worth it. If you don't need to be portable, this thing just slaps. Okay, iMac. I know it appeals. People like the idea of an all-in-one, but right now, as we're approaching April 2021, I don't recommend buying it. You might not even be able to buy it because I know they've been selling out because there's a new model that's incoming. So if that's you, if you really like the idea of an all-in-one, just wait. The new Apple Silicon powered one is right around the corner. It looks like, just wait. In fact, as this concept from Mac rumors shows, all indications are that the next iMac is gonna be drop dead beautiful with more of like an iPad kind of a look. Very thin, maybe colored. If you like the iPad Air colors, that's been a rumor. It's gonna be amazing. So again, just wait. 
All right, what about the Mac Pro? It's the biggest, craziest Mac, right? Well, yeah, maybe. I mean, probably you're not gonna buy it. If you're watching this, wondering if you buy it, no, you probably shouldn't because again, this falls under the category of if you know that you need it, then you already know. This is for people who need lots and lots of cores being worked at the same time. The Mac Pro, this is your Ferrari of computers. You know, you may want it, it may seem cool, but you don't need it. You really don't probably. If you're watching a video about which Mac to get, you don't need it. So yeah, there you go. Which Mac should you get? Obviously the one that you can afford <laughs> that's in your budget. If you need something now, then buy it now. If you can wait a little bit, then wait because there's some really great stuff coming up on the horizon. Apple's out with an iPhone 12 commercial. It's called Fumble. I don't know if you guys saw this. It's got 1.8 million views and it's basically promoting Apple's ceramic shield which is the kind of glass or a component of the glass that's on the iPhone this year, meant to make it stronger. This ad's been getting a lot of attention because it shows this woman walking across the street, fumbling her phone, right? We've all been there, not a good feeling. It's caseless, so it's naked. And as she's fumbling it, it's in slow motion. Oh no, it's gonna land on the asphalt, right? Because she's going across the street. Well, no where it actually ends up is in a pile of dirt. And not on a corner does it land, but kind of almost flat. And then she picks it up and goes on her merry way. Is that how you drop a phone? Because that's not how I have ever dropped a phone. <laughs> and I don't know where this patch of dirt comes from in the ad. I'm not trying to make fun of Apple or the creative team behind this, um, definitely not. I absolutely approve of any effort by Apple to make that glass on the front of the iPhone stronger, more durable, more scratch resistant. Now it's true that the ceramic shield does actually improve the toughness of your iPhone glass compared to the iPhone 11 anyways. That has been tested and proved. I think it does have something to do with the angle of attack. So if you drop your iPhone on a corner, it's gonna be different than if you drop it flat. You know, so you can't just go out there thinking that your iPhone's a tank now. You know, on my iPhone 12, it definitely has some micro scratches. But the idea is that it's more resistant to certain types of damage. Apple often, if not always, disables the comments for their YouTube videos. There's no comments on here. If the comments were enabled, I think people would be having a heyday because it's just so unbelievable. You know, it's great cinematography really, really well shot, boom. And then it just lands in the dirt. You know, I could drop any phone in that patch of dirt and really not expect too much damage to the screen. It looked like a very soft landing, honestly. The claim is that Ceramic Shield gives you four times better protection than previous iPhones. And that's great. I'm sure that's actually the case. But you know, if you drop it on asphalt, <laughs> you're still not gonna be happy, I'm positive. But here's the thing, I just take away from this ad, you know, it's kind of lighthearted fun. I can relate to it because we have all been there when you have that moment of fear and things look like they're going in slow motion inside your head like, oh no, what's gonna happen when it drops? And then it does. And yeah, is it better to have the ceramic shield? Yes. Was this a super uh, great ad depicting like real world situation? I don't know. The Apple Watch has been out for so long now. It debuted with the rings, the exercise rings. And to this day, I never really 
took the time to understand what the difference was between the move and the exercise ring. So for anybody out there also wondering what the deal is, I want to just quickly remove the fog, break it down for you so you can get educated and actually understand what you're looking at. Okay, it's actually really simple. You have three rings, the move, the exercise, and the stand ring. We know what the stand ring is all about. You're supposed to stand once an hour. Some people turn those alerts off because they just don't care. I know other people who really like the stand reminders. Your move ring is the pinkish red ring, and you close the move ring by hitting your personal goal of active calories burned. So this thing is adaptable. Everyone has different calorie goals and you can change it from week to week. Or if you're really hitting your goals, your watch itself, the AI might be like, hey, this seems too easy. Do you wanna make it a little bit harder for next week? So this can adapt, but it's all about your active calories burned. So all kinds of things count. You could be zip lining, could be dancing at the concert, not during COVID. You could be biking, just moving around. Everything is gonna count to close this. Okay, so this is a ring that's highly tailored to your specific activity and life. It's something you can go in and change if you go into the activity app and move that digital crown. Exercise ring, on the other hand, gets closed by completing at least 30 minutes of activity at or above a brisk walk. If you're like, man, I did more activity than I thought today. Why am I not closing this exercise ring? Well, you didn't do something that was better than a brisk walk. So this one doesn't actually change. You get 30 minutes of exercise, you're gonna close this ring. Simple as that, all right? So 30 minutes of brisk activity every day can help minimize the chance of a stroke, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, weight gain, and it can also help improve your sleep, your mood, and reduce your stress. So there you go, active calories burned versus time spent in actual exercise above a brisk walk. Those are the differences between the two rings. Now you're educated. Well, you know what? I didn't have time to get to everything that I wanted to today. So let's cut it off right here. And let's just say thanks for hanging out. Appreciate you guys. Make sure to check out Apple Hype. Keep your eye peeled for your eyes. If you're a pirate and you had one eye lost in battle, then keep your one eye peeled. Otherwise, for everyone else, keep your eyes peeled uh, for new content hitting the Daily Tech channel. And also get yourself signed up for the Clips channel because... You know, if you found this podcast, you found it through the main YouTube channel, but you can watch all the clips from it on the Clips channel, which is a separate channel. So get yourself all set up and I'll catch you guys in the next whatever it is that I catch you in. Later.